Good morning. The Father is good, isn't he? The Father is really, really good. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, band, for leading us in worship. We are continuing a series uh, through the life of David, and we are looking now at 2 Samuel 11 and 12 and Psalm 32 and 51. And something interesting about David is that he's a pretty famous character. David and Goliath, that concept, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell wrote an entire book with that title. I mean, there is a cultural thing related to David and his life. And in the context of the Me Too movement, we have David and Bathsheba. Right? You have a powerful man who takes a vulnerable woman. And it is scandalous. But what is even more surprising and what is even more scandalous is what God does in response. <laughs> right? He takes a woman because he has the power to do it. Then he kills her husband, who happens to be one of his boys, one of his mighty men. Scandalous. But what is more scandalous is a covenant God who says, I have chosen you, David, and I will withhold my part of the covenant. I will hold it up even because of your behavior. I will keep our covenant together. It is scandalous. The main thing I want you to hear, the most scandalous thing in this passage is not what David does, it is what God does. Y'all hearing me? So the title of the message is Scandal. Scandal. Big idea is this. Because the series is about us wanting to be men and women after God's own heart, like David. The big idea of the text of this message is learning to be a man or woman after God's own heart means not hiding one's sin but trusting in the mercy of God. Learning to be a man or a woman after God's own heart means not hiding one's sin, but trusting in the mercy of God. Hiding our sin is a default position for every single one of us. You know how I know that? Because what did Adam and Eve do as soon as they sinned? Anyone? They hid in the bushes, hiding. And then when they're confronted by God himself, what does Adam do? Deflect. The girl you gave me, I'm blaming her and you. Hiding and deflection. So our discussion is going to be in three parts. Number one, we're going to look at some lessons on temptation and sin. Very practical section here. In chapter 11, we're just going to pull out some lessons on temptation and sin. Second part, David is confronted with his sin, and he confesses. 
And then third, God's grace and the reality of consequences. And in the midst of those three, we're going to have some Q&A time. So if you're online and you want to add your thoughts and ask some questions, we would love for you to do that. And those thoughts are going to be brought to us here on the stage, so we'll be able to discuss those. So let me pray for us, and then let's go after the text. Father, we give you this time. And I ask again that you will open our eyes to scandalous, amazing grace. And Father, I thank you that you are a God who is real with us. That you don't pretend like we're okay. You call us out in our sin. And even in the midst of calling us out, you are extending amazing grace. So we give you this time. I ask Holy Spirit that you will press on us the grievousness of our sin and the scandal of grace in Christ. Holy Spirit, do that work in us. You are the great teacher. So come and teach. And Jesus, we honor you here in this place because of your death and resurrection. We are free to be vulnerable and honest with each other and with you. No longer hiding. So we give you this time. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, blow fire on this word in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start this thing. Hey, D. Okay, lessons on temptation and sin. So where have we been? Last week, we were at 2 Samuel 7. It was the covenant that God establishes with David. It's an irrevocable covenant, which means it cannot be broken. In fact, this chapter challenges the irrevocableness. Is that a word? Yeah. Irrevocableness of God's covenant with David. God says, I'm going to do this thing with you. It's irrevocable. It cannot be broken. And a couple chapters later, we're going to see we're going to see a challenge to that covenant here in chapter 11. God is working through David in chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 2 Samuel. And he's moving through, and the Bible says that God was with him wherever he went. And it's very interesting. David starts having these battles, and he has the battles with the Philistines in the west, right? Battles in the north, battles in the east, battles in the south, and literally, the text is showing us that all the borders now are at peace in David's kingdom. So what God said, I'm going to give you rest from your enemies, we're already starting to see a shadow of it and the symbol of it. And David comes to a place where he is in complete control and he has complete power. He has absolute power. He has achieved success, what he's been longing for when Samuel first anointed him with oil and years and years and years and years and years of waiting, finally, <laughs> he sits in full power and in full success. And then we see chapter 11. That's where we're at. 
chapter 11. David. We see him. Let's look at seven lessons. Seven lessons. I'm not going to go through this whole text because we can't go through all of it, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. Seven lessons on temptation and sin. Number one, be alert, especially when you're experiencing success. The Bible says that David sends his boys out. He sends the military out. He's at peace. He's in Jerusalem. He's resting. And all thing, everything goes down because David's hanging out in Jerusalem. He's experiencing success. And it's interesting. The Bible actually says that we are to be sober-minded and be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Peter says, resist him. So I just want to say, first, first lesson here, be alert. Keep your head on a swivel when it comes to temptation, especially when you're experiencing success and ease and peace. Second lesson, be in relational rhythm with Jesus. In the text, it actually says that David remained at Jerusalem, and this was a time when kings normally go to war. Did you see that? You saw that phrase. A time when kings go to war, David was hanging out in Jerusalem. Now, the way I've read that and the way I was planning on discussing that was to say this, so you can get into my mind. If you're not busy in the kingdom, you're going to get tempted. That's what I was going to say. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is it implies that we just need to keep ourselves busy so we can withstand temptation. And we're critical of David because he stayed in Jerusalem. Now, there's something too. He probably needs to be on assignment. But as I was thinking about this, the Lord just whispered in my ear. He said, Jamie, whether you're on assignment bearing fruit or whether you're at rest, you need to be connected to me. It doesn't matter whether David was at war or in Jerusalem. He needed to be connected with Yahweh. Are y'all hearing me? There's something to, we're, we're created for these natural rhythms where I work and then I rest and then I work and then I rest, but the rest is not binge watching Netflix because I'm so exhausted from working. The rest is life-giving relationship with Abba. So yes, if your typical weekend is binge video games and binge Netflix not connected to Abba, then yeah, you're probably in this realm. But how many of you know you can be tempted to sin when you're busy at work too? Okay. Number four. I'm sorry, number three. Every temptation comes with a moment of escape. When David sees Bathsheba, he inquires about her. Who's that girl? Who's that girl right there? And a messenger comes back. What does the messenger say? That's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, your boy. <laughs> he knows exactly who Bathsheba is. Bathsheba's married to one of the mighty men. One of the guys that have been in the cave with David. One of the guys that have been fighting with David had his back. Listen, that's the moment where David goes, you know what? She's hot. I'm not going to do this because that's my boy. Right? There's a moment. In fact, the New Testament tells us that there is a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen to me. Every time you are tempted, there is a moment. I can still remember some of these moments. 
There is that moment where it's decision time. Am I going to follow Jesus or engage in sin? Y'all know what I'm talking about? There's this moment. We all have it. And we all make a willful choice. David has a moment. By the way, uh, she's the wife of Uriah. That moment. David goes, and he takes her. The Lord will provide a moment of escape. Number four, a lack of accountability and community is a breeding ground for sin. If you notice, people know what's happening. There's servants that are bringing Bathsheba to him. Joab, his, his, his main lieutenant and commander, puts Uriah in danger. People are doing what David is asking him to do and covering it up. No one looks at David and says, hey man, this isn't right. He doesn't have relationships with people who he is allowed to say to him, David, that's not right. There's a lack of accountability and lack of community. I think it's fairly obvious, the application for us. Do you have people in your life that know you enough to look at you and go, that's not right? Number five, hiding your sin only makes it worse. Bathsheba gets pregnant, so now we're going to bring Uriah in. We're going to try to get him drunk, right? Maybe he'll sleep with Bathsheba. Maybe, maybe it won't look like it's me. Now I'm going to get him killed. It's just worse and worse and worse and worse rather than just confessing. Uriah doesn't have to die, right? If Bathsheba, if, if Bathsheba and David, if that just becomes brought into the light. only makes it worse. Number six, Persistent sin makes one callous towards God and others. You see this callousness in David's heart as he continues. In fact, you see it in the text. It's crazy. Joab says he sends a messenger to give news to David that there was severe fighting and they actually lost some men. He says if David gets angry and he gets riled up, tell him Uriah died. Why? Because if David hears Uriah died, then David thinks everything's okay. Do you, hear, do you see the callousness of that? And then he says something to the messengers. This is verse 25. This is verse 25. This, this haunts me. David said to the messenger, say to Joab, do not, do not let this matter displease you. And then it says, and encourage him. David encourages Joab you did the right thing can you see the callousness don't be displeased I want to encourage you that you got one of my guys killed he's callous when we, when we walk in sin I've experienced this so much in my life that I can feel Callousness towards the affection of God. I can feel it. Like persistent sin. And then all of a sudden I can't hear his voice. All of a sudden I, I don't experience his presence with me. I don't experience community. I'm becoming calloused, encased in sinful dead skin around my heart because of persistent sin. Then finally, you cannot hide your sin from God. God is nowhere to be found in chapter 11 until the very last verse. 
And it's interesting. That same verb, when David says to the messenger to tell Joab, do not let this matter displease you, that verb, at the end of the chapter, it says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Same word. You cannot hide. The Lord sees. Biblical theology tells us God is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. You know when you watch those movies and maybe it gets a little bit sexually risque and let's say you're watching it with your parents, what happens? You know what I'm saying? You're like, you. But if mom and dad weren't there, I might be like, okay, all right. But we do that with God, don't we? Abba is right here. In fact, he's right here. And when I'm looking at that computer screen, he is with me. But in that moment, something is short-circuited in my brain where I think he's not there. Because if I really was consciously present, if I was consciously aware of his presence, I wouldn't do the sin. I wouldn't say the things that I say if I thought Jesus was sitting right next to me listening to me. You cannot hide your sin from God. That's good right there, all of that. Um, I, I just wanted to say, like, there's, there's these moments where following Jesus, we are doing the things, and in the back of our minds, we start to say, okay, now it's going to be my time. Yeah. I know I feel that, especially after a hard season of ministry. I'll say, look, this is my time. And I've had to condition myself that a disciple of Jesus actually we never have my time mm. it's actually always his time yeah. C.S. Lewis says that there is a battle for every square inch and in the in the in the universe and every second is being contested mm. the enemy is always prowling around he's always looking for a way in and so one of the things that we have to we have to recognize is when we sign up to follow Jesus, there, there's no my time. It's my time is in your hands. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, order my days. All of them. Yeah. And so that point of the first point here that Jamie brought up, especially when you're successful, especially when things are going well, especially when things are on a roll, but equally when things are just terrible and everything's going wrong. Yeah. It's so easy to want to escape and that escape becomes the answer. And so we need to watch our patterns and we need to watch uh, and know uh, and learn from our past mistakes. So when you're tired, when you're not exercising, when you're not resting, when uh, you are in front of the television, or when you are escaping with either food or alcohol, these are times when you're opening yourself to the enemy. So, I would just add to that, this list, you know, to recognize, make a decision that from now on, none of your time belongs to you. 
It all belongs to the Lord. Mm. And I think what God whispered to Jamie was, was real revelation, which is we can do this in the middle of ministry. We can do this in the middle of our quiet times. We can do this in the middle of our days off, in the middle of our vacations, in yeah. the middle of our yeah. round of golf, in the middle of whatever we can practice the presence of God. Questions, comments, thoughts. What did you see in the text? I want to give uh, Terry's got a mic. She's going to come around. And if you're online and you want to just type in the chat a question or a thought or a comment, let's, let's interact with that, with these seven lessons on temptation and sin in David's life. Questions, comments. And Naj over here. Um, Jamie, when you were talking about the um, skin growing around one's heart and becoming callous, it made me think of something. I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago, and they were asking about preachers that sin and fall in the news, and they, they gave a whole list of preachers. And it makes this person clump all preachers in that category, you know, like they're all sinners. And it just occurred to me, and I'll have to revisit this conversation. Because she was asking me, well, what happens to a man of God that would make him do something like that? And he has all this knowledge, and he's leading all these people, and suddenly he falls into drug addiction or get caught with a prostitute. Yes. And what you said about that skin growing around your heart and becoming, making you callous, then it just, it just occurred to me, that's what happens. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we see in David, David is the prototype perfect king. He's the prototype perfect leader. He's the leader after God's own heart. And he does this. Yeah, so absolutely. They don't have close friends. Yeah. Especially close friends in the church. Yeah. And they don't have an eldership structure. They don't have a plurality of elders around them yeah. that are watching them and see them in action, not just Sunday, but Monday to Saturday. And so they, they get picked off by the enemy. Anybody else? Noah tried hiding from God. Say that again. Noah tried hiding from God. Oh, Noah tried hiding from God. Yeah? Yeah? Jonah was running away from God. Adam and Eve hiding. I listen to Ravi Zachariah every Sunday morning before I come to services, and uh, this morning... He was speaking about James Baker, who was caught in sin mm -hmm. and sent to prison, and how he was uh, cleaning the bathrooms, and he was all slopped up with water and everything, and he was told he had a visitor, and the last thing he wanted to do was go see the visitor, and um, he finally they encouraged him to come out. They didn't tell him who it was. Well, it happened to be Billy Graham, and he just enveloped him in his arms and hugged him and 
told him that he had been forgiven and he said it was just like going into the arms of the father yeah. and to be forgiven like that was just overwhelming. Yeah. I just wanted to, like you were earlier talking about the rhythm of working and rest, and um, I've noticed that um, your inputs as a person just dramatically affects you. Your 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 level of being sober-minded versus calloused and numb. And I had a real breakthrough about a year ago, where. I just realized that, hey, it's not, it's not working a job and being a husband and being a father that makes you tired. It's what you do to get your energy back. And when you're like listening to podcasts nonstop and you're watching Netflix all the time and you're you may be drinking or whatever, eating, you know. Mm -hmm. And I did an experiment with basically canceling all... Um, all inputs that weren't directly from the Lord. Whether So I kind of like, I did worship music, I did prayer, I did scripture, and it it's amazing the change that you feel in your spirit when you're kind of, you're burning cleaner fuel, if yep. that makes sense. Yep. And Absolutely. so when you're talking about, you know, it, it, it's a tough question to look at yourself and say, hey, how many hours a day are you actually kind of like in another dimension, right? Whether you're on the internet or you're not actually in reality. Right. Um, so I just encourage the church to, you know, think about that and press into that. That's good. That's good, Mike. Garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. That's good. That's good. All right, let's, let's jump to number two because we've got three sections that we want to talk through. Section two. David is confronted with his sin, and then he confesses. Because up to this point, this callousness that we've been talking about is rampant. And there's two practical truths that I want you to see here in the text. Number one, God will confront us with our sin. Because he is a good father who disciplines his kids. And secondly, we must immediately confess and repent. So number one, God will confront us with our sin. He's a good father. Um, this callousness has set in on David. He's in an echo chamber where no one can really speak truth into him. He's telling, he's encouraging people for joining in with his sin and his deception. And so God knows exactly how to get to David because he's a good father. Just like I know exactly, I, I know specific ways to communicate with Caden that I wouldn't communicate with Bailey and the other way around. So Yahweh knows exactly how he needs to get to David, and he's going to get to David through his justice in this parable, right? <laughs> he tells him the parable of this rich man and this poor man and the lamb. And I'm not going to go on into that, but the bottom line is the Father knows exactly how to confront us in a way where it is exposed in our heart. Even when we are in this calloused place, the Father is good to expose. Because that could actually feel fairly um, disheartening. Well, now I'm calloused, and I don't know it because I'm calloused. Woe is me. Yeah, woe is you, but the Father is coming <laughs> to confront. And he will confront you. And he does with David. So I, I, I just want to put that out there. And the reason he's a good father is because he understands if you keep doing this, son or daughter, it will kill you. And good fathers and good mothers stop their kids from doing things that will kill them. James 1, 
14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. That desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the father looks at our sin and goes, no, I'm going to confront that because death is coming. And good fathers stop their kiddos from continuing. And then secondly, we must immediately, and we see this in David, he immediately confesses and repents. Immediately. So those are the two things I just want to encourage us as we're thinking through this. The Father will confront. Immediately confess. Don't play around with that. Don't self-justify. Don't put more fig leaves on. Y'all know what I'm saying? Stop, stop hiding and come into the light. And, and I'm saying this as, as a man who has spent a lot of time in the darkness hiding and self-justifying and pretending. It doesn't work. Come into the light. Yeah, at the, uh, at the peak of my success at P&G, um, I entered into a season, uh, and I mean by season five years, of uh, reckless unfaithfulness to my wife, of uh, lots of times clouded, judgment clouded by alcohol uh, and gluttony. Um, and also, I didn't, I didn't kill anybody, but I maimed and assassinated a lot of characters and reputations of people around me. And Psalm 32 really, uh, really happened in my life. I was in church, but I did not know Jesus. And in Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, David says, When I kept silent, uh, my bones wasted away, and your hand was heavy on me, and my strength was sapped. And this is how how the Lord uh, worked in my life. And I was a slow learner. I'm talking about 18 months. Hmm. 18 months between an earthquake that nearly killed me and giving my life to Jesus. And he was pressing me. He was pressing me. And I was, I was battling with every single thing in the category of worldly sorrow that you could imagine. Uh, putting myself on probation for 10 days. If I could, like, behave really good for 10 days, yeah. I could sort of make it look like my sin was yeah. okay. I could, I could deal with it. So I was really good for a few days, and then I would fall again. I'd go into the depths of despair. And that cycle went on mm. so long that I began to say, I've gone too far. Mm. There is no hope for me. And justifying myself instead of telling God he was justified. And lots of remorse, lots of uh, just fear of being caught and fear of all this stuff. And I, I remember that at the retreat on the weekend 25 years ago when I heard 
the love of the Father. That song we sang today, I need a surgeon. Yeah. Whew. Whew. I need a surgeon, right? That's and that, that's what I needed. And when it became clear that the gospel said that if I confess my sin, God is righteous to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, mm. I said, I can't believe it. By faith. And I'd, that night, I made a confession and it lasted a couple of hours, but it was essentially in the spirit of 2 Samuel 12, 13. I said to Elmer, who was with me, the man who was with me, I've sinned against the Lord. And I started offloading, finally, all this stuff. And in Psalm 32, verse 5, it says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Or Psalm 51.1, I have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Immediate, immediate yeah. forgiveness. It's not like we have to go through a period um, or even this idea of purgatory. This isn't how the Father works. The Father takes what Jesus has done and instantly we are made right. Hmm. instantly we are made right hmm. yes we don't have to wait it's not like it's not like covid you know you you forgive you ask forgiveness from the father and then you have to quarantine for 14 days no mm, that's good that's not how it works that's good it's immediate and total forgiveness yeah and and it, if i look at all the patterns that i learned since coming immediately to seek forgiveness before the sin piles up the sooner the better we 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 continue in a, a living relationship with god if if the holy spirit is living in your life you are spiritually hot if you sin you quench the holy spirit you start getting cold and you can be cold for one minute or you can be cold for one week. Mm. But if you are immediately back to the Father, immediately seeking forgiveness, then it's done. Totally done. So I just want to look at this next chart and, and just say getting right with God, this is a, this is a process, it's relational, we recognize we have sin. We've missed the mark. Uh, we repent. We think a different way. We go immediately to Abba now when we have sin. We confess, which means we become in one word or in agreement with God. We refrain from the repetition of this sin. We are forgiven, released, dismissed. We are cleansed. And we, this all happens if we believe. If we believe. And the key scripture is 1 John 1 9. Hmm. If we confess our sin, he is just and righteous to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is good. That is good. And in David's case, he can, at the end of Psalm 32, he can rejoice. He's got the joy of his salvation back. Yeah. And in Psalm 51, 
He can promise to teach transgressors. And he can, in verse 13 and in verse 15, he can say, my mouth will declare his praise. Mm. And the God who, the God who forgave me brought me into his family, but he also brought me into this ministry. That's impossible. Mm -hmm. That's impossible in human terms. And he will do the same every day for me. And he does the same every day for me. And he will do the same every day for you. So let not condemnation take up one more day of your life. That's good. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let's jump into the third section because we see some scandalous grace. Third section, God's grace and the reality of consequences. This is a little nuanced thing that we're about to look through. Two, another two truths that I want us to see. Scandalous sin meets scandalous grace because the covenant is not canceled. This is the way I think about this text. Let's say that King Saul, the former king, was still alive. Let's just say. What do you think Saul is thinking about this whole scenario? Y'all following me? Did Saul, did Saul steal a dude's wife? No. Did Saul try to get the dude drunk and then get him killed? No. In fact, Saul has a point where he looks at it and goes, that's not fair. That's not fair. I lost my kingdom because I disobeyed God. This guy does a me too and then kills the husband and God's like, I'm going to stay faithful to you. That's not fair. And those words, that's not fair, presses this scandalous grace. Listen, the forgiveness that we experience in Christ is not fair. What you have experienced by faith in Christ is not fair. You don't deserve the smile of the Father over your life, but you get it anyway because of Jesus. The jacked up stuff that goes through our brains and the things that we say and the things that we do, a lot of times we don't understand how evil that is. And it is not fair that God can look at Jamie and because Jamie has placed his faith in Jesus, Jesus becomes my sin, the Bible says. Every rotten thought and thing that I have done, Jesus becomes it. And his righteousness, I become his righteousness. It's not fair. scandalous that we can sin against a holy eternal God and he comes in human flesh to die in our place as if he committed those sins and then hands us his perfect righteousness and adopts us back into his family it's scandalous and it is not fair And honestly, that truth, I think it was Luther who said, yeah, I think it was Luther, who said, we've got to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. 
Because when I get up in the morning, I have a tendency to think that I'm pretty good on my own. <laughs> I'm an associate pastor at a church. <laughs> right? Or am I the only one who does that? <laughs> like I get up in the morning, I'm kind of like, okay, okay, I'm pretty good. That's why we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. Actually, I'm not good. The Father is good for me in Jesus. So it's, it's that reminder, reminding ourselves again, it is not fair, the grace that has been shown to us. And then second truth, I, I press that point because it's an important point. But then secondly, even when our sin meets God's amazing grace, there are still consequences. There are real consequences for the sin that we commit against the Lord and each other. And we see this in David's life. I mean, Nathan says, God says through Nathan that the sword will not leave your house because of this sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold the covenant. We're still together like this, but there are consequences to what has happened. The sword will not leave your house. He says, your wives are going to be taken publicly and you will be humiliated by one who will publicly shame you with your wives. What you did in, in secret with Uriah's wife will be done publicly to you with your wives. And we see that in Absalom. Real consequences. He says, there's going to be family turmoil in your life. The child that has been conceived will die. That is a real consequence, even though David is forgiven. And then we see his leadership just goes downhill from here. There are real consequences to our sin. So scandalous grace, yes, and real consequences. So I'm going to let Dennis untangle that. Thank you. Thank you. I like that part where you're like, I didn't know you had that kind of rhythm, man. Um, we got all kinds of comments from online, so uh, just want to just want to pick up a few. This is really good. Sounds like sin is like plumbing; water will find the leak. That is that's yeah. good. That's good, Dennis. And uh, Corey says all our time belongs to the Lord. Mary Ellen Hobaugh, good to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Temptation is everywhere, all the time. We have to stay connected to the Father, to Abba. And uh, Sherry Collins says, uh, none of us is immune to sin, but we can take action to help us avoid it and resist temptation. It's like Jamie said, God always gives us a way out. And Michael George, me time gets a new meaning in Jesus and doesn't leave you unsatisfied, which kind of picks up on what Michael said about inputs. Uh, and some sinfulness is not recognizable. Is there a state of humility that will allow us to recognize our sin? And I just want to, I just want to answer that question because one of the mm -hmm. things, one prayer God always answers is... Uh, the tail end of Psalm 139. When you ask God, show me if there's anything in me that's not of you and you are really open to hearing, God will show you. God will show you what's going on. 
So uh, just to pick up on what Jamie said, uh, you know, the, the, the scandalous grace, uh, God continues the covenant. The baby with Bathsheba dies, but in, in chapter, two, uh, chapter 12, verses 24 and 25, it says this, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, went into her and lay with her, and she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent a message by Nathan the prophet that he should be called his name, he should call his name Jedidiah, which means the beloved of the Lord. Hmm. So you see this scandalous grace. Now, all right, you tried to do it your way. Now I'm going to do it my way. And he gives him a son, blesses him, continues the dynasty, fulfills the covenant. And we see in the genealogy of Jesus, it's scandalous. There, there's, there's all these people in the genealogy. In Matthew chapter 1, you've got Tamar, who, um, you know, deceived her father-in-law so she could have a child. That child was part of, was part of the lineage of Jesus. Or uh, you have Rahab, who is a prostitute who hid the spies. She gets married um, to Salmon and has Boaz. Boaz meets a Moabite, a Moabite woman and has Obed. And all the way through the story of Jesus' genealogy, you have all these scandals, including the son of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. So God somehow brings his purposes out of all of our sin. Yeah. But we do have consequences. We do have consequences. And in, in, in the picture here, and we're going to dive into this next week, uh, we're, we're having you read seven chapters, by the way, for next week, because uh, there's about five lessons in those chapters about fatherhood, parenting, uh, dealing with the realities in your family. And we are going to see David as a failure as a father, and we're actually going to see his family fall apart. Yeah. And it's due in part to this consequences. And, you know, the consequences of my sin uh, has been that in, in my family line, before me and after me, there's been all kinds of generational effects that we've had to confront, talk through, hmm. repent of, and ask God to heal because these things are not isolated. These things are not isolated. And so recognize that the nuance here is the sin is totally forgiven, but we often have to deal with the consequences. One consequence for me is I was angry for a long time, even after I came to Christ, even after, and that had serious negative effects on my children and on my wife. And that's been a journey to recover from that, to understand the roots of it, to deal with the spiritual roots of it, to deal with uh, the attitudinal roots of it. Um, and that's been, unfortunately, a, a very real negative in my family that's persisted. 
thank God it's coming to the place where it's, it's lift, mostly lifted, but it's something that my kids have had to deal with hmm. the whole time. Hmm. Okay, as we close, <clears throat> I want to give opportunity. Are there some I will statements? some aha moments, something that's going through your brain and heart that you want to share with the group, and then I'm going to close us out. So uh, some, some ahas. we got Burr here. Uh, before I became a believer, I was not aware of my sin nature. I thought I was a pretty good person. You hear that a lot from people who aren't believers. Oh, I'm a pretty good person. And when I came to Christ, I realized I wasn't a pretty good person at all. I had a sin nature, and that sin nature dominated areas of my life that I wasn't dealing with. And the, the interesting thing is I still have that sin nature. It hasn't left. Uh, uh, Satan is alive and well, and he still confronts. And that sin nature won't be dealt with fully and finally until Christ returns. So uh, the thought that keeps coming to mind here, stay on the alert, stay on the alert, watch out. Don't get self-satisfied. It's mm, good. It's good. Thanks, good. Burr. Excellent. Any other ahas, I wills? We got Mark over here. I could sit further away, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, it... it it really struck me, I noticed that God used Nathan, and I'm convinced that that's not the first time God tried to get through to David, gave him an opportunity, as you pointed out. It's, it just strikes me that community is, that's yeah. how God made us, to be in community. For me, I believe the opposite lie, that I, I stink, that I'm horrible, that I am never going to be enough, never capable, and that is, you know, any lie that the enemy is telling us, for me, God has refuted that through community. Mm. To, to say, here's my sin and confess it to another person and have that person not run screaming from the room, but instead say, I love you, brother. Yeah. That is God's hands and feet for me. Yeah. Absolutely That's essential. That's good. That's good, Mark. That's good. Anybody else? I'm going to say something. Yeah. Just um, as you were speaking about, you know, Rahab and Tamar and all the people that were in Jesus' line, um, it just occurred to me, you know, there was no other way because we are all sinners. And if there was to be a line, they were going to be sinners no matter what. It doesn't, it, they are not any worse sinners than I am, mm -hmm. you know, just because I, you know, yeah. didn't do one thing or another that it doesn't make them any worse. And we, we kind of pointed out saying, oh, they did these big things, but sin is sin is sin is sin in God's eyes because he's holy, and there yeah. was no other way. Yeah. They are, everybody in Jesus' line was a sinner right. except for him, right. right? Right. That's good. Uh, Wait. One more. Um, this is kind of like a negative side of everything, but what happens when you just love your sin, right? And you just don't want to stop. And there's like, as far as like, say addiction, like I love pop. I love Diet Pepsi. And I've got physical consequences from it. 
And it's just, I love it. And I don't want to give it up. And I know this sounds kind of like a silly addiction, but um, I love it. And I, like, there's, there, it's so hard to, like, let go of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, a, <clears throat> there's an element of affection that's important in this conversation. Um, the strongest antidote to sin is the overwhelmingly good and gloriousness of God in comparison to other things that don't satisfy. So when, when I am enjoying my sin, because I know what you're saying, uh, in that moment, I do not see the beauty of Jesus. Um, and, and when I realize that, and when I'm the prodigal and I come to my senses, right, the Bible says that he had his face in the pig trough. And he comes to his senses. In that moment, when I come to my senses, I am relying on the Holy Spirit to awaken affection for the goodness of God in my heart and to literally, supernaturally change my affection. And I will ask him to do it. Because if I continue to enjoy that sin, James tells me, it will lead to my death. So, you know, there's a utilitarian, pragmatic thing there. But there's also of me just saying, Holy Spirit, I, I love this. And I don't see you as better than this. Holy Spirit, change my heart. That's one of the things the Spirit does. As we behold him, we are changed from one degree of glory into another. And this is by the Spirit, Paul says. So in that moment, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do. Our ability to change our affections is, I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage is. I would say zero. Zero. Thank you. The professional, I mean, you know, he knows. We, I, I can't do it. I can't muster up affection for God. I can't muster up worship. I, I need the Spirit to awaken that in me. So when you're in that moment, I, that's when I'm, going to the spirit spirit you've been given to me to you are the love of the father poured into my heart I, I want to experience that and love the father more than this sin so um, faith george says on uh, her i will i will monitor the inputs in my life so christ goes in and christ likeness comes out yeah 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 okay I have just some summary applications. This will be very, um, very short and sweet. One, stay relationally connected to Jesus and be alert. So just be alert for that moment. Stay, stay aware and stay alert and stay connected to Jesus. That's something that I'm being really challenged. That's an I will for me. When I walk into a staff meeting, when I'm in the car driving to work, when I'm eating a meal with my kids, am I relationally connected to Jesus? Two, form accountability and community now. Do it now. If you don't have guys and gals in your life that can call you out on your sin and will ask you, how are you doing with this sin? Then form it yesterday, right? Thirdly, when you sin, don't hide. Run straight to the Father. I've learned this the hard way. When, when I'm confronted with my sin and I realize it, I run straight to the Father straight to the throne of grace with confidence. Okay, let's stand.
I want to pray and, and bless us. Next week's uh, scriptures are 2 Samuel 13 to 19. 2 Samuel 13 to 19, and then Psalm chapter 3. We're going to be looking at David and his leadership over his family, uh, his failure of leadership over his family. And, and guys, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up. We are um, not to exclude the ladies, but we are going to exclude the ladies in this regard. Guys, we're going to be creating a digital online platform and forum for the guys to connect. Um, and it's going to be probably kind of a text-based group for us to just engage with one another and also add some Zoom breakout rooms so that we're gathering together as men, especially next week when we talk about fatherhood, failure in fatherhood, failure in parenting. We're going to have a Zoom call with all the men of our church to discuss these things and do some breakout rooms. So um, I just want to give you a heads up. I'm teasing that. D will have more information um, for next week. Okay? Ladies, we love you, but it's just going to be a, a guy thing. Okay? Let me pray and bless you, and then we will be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your great love and mercy and willingness to die for the sin of the world, my sin and our sin. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've been given to us to give revelation and conviction and challenge and the very love of the Father into our hearts. And I bless my brothers and sisters. I bless them with relational intimacy with you, Father. I bless them with greater capacity to hear your voice, Jesus. I bless them with a heart that is ignited with love and passion by the Holy Spirit for the good news of the gospel. I bless you, church. I bless you with non-calloused hearts and a readiness to follow Jesus in all things. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Family, you are loved and you are dismissed. Be at peace. Yeah.